Thanks for listening to the Cascade Vineyard Church Podcast. To learn more about our community or the vineyard movement as a whole, feel free to visit our website, cascadevineyard.org. There you'll also find additional teachings, information on our various ministries, and other resources for further developing your faith. We'd love to have you join us for worship. Enjoy this message. I'm a little cold, so if I'm a little nasally or whatever, congested sounding today, you have to bear with me. I apologize. Uh, it's not enough to really make me stay home in bed sick. It's just enough to be highly annoying. You know what I mean? It's right in that annoying face. But uh, in any case, if you have not been with us recently, we have been working our way ever so slowly through the Gospel of Luke. Um, I don't know about you, but, but I like it. I like going through Luke uh, a few verses at a time. It's a, it's a long book and has a lot in it. And, and the reality is, you know, you, you kind of think, do we teach a topical series on, on healing or prayer, it gifts of spirit? Do we teach an expository series? But the reality is, by going through the book of Luke, you, you, you cover everything. You cover everything. So we're in chapter 9. Uh, this morning again, uh, as has been the case a couple of times recently, a very interesting passage. Uh, I'll, be, I'll be honest, uh, it's a little weird, okay? I think we can say that. It's okay to say that. This is unusual. It's outside of the norm. Uh, it's all outside of the norm. We've seen Jesus healing people, delivering people, uh, raising the dead, calming a storm. This is outside of that norm, Okay? So it, it, it's a strange passage. Uh, I want to go ahead and read it first, set a little context, and then we'll see if we can uh, find a way for it to make some kind of impact on our lives. So if you go ahead and go to uh, Luke 9, beginning, I think, about verse 28 or so. It says, about eight days after Jesus said this, and that's in reference just to last week, the, uh, he had a conversation with, with some of the disciples, uh, he took Peter, John, and James with him and went up onto a mountaintop to pray. As he was praying, the appearance of his face changed, and his clothes became as bright as a flash of lightning. That's, uh, just think about that for a minute. That's, that's bright. That's blinding. Uh, two men, Moses and Elijah, appeared in glorious splendor talking with Jesus, they spoke about his departure, which he was about to bring to fulfillment at Jerusalem. Peter and his companions were very sleepy, but when they became fully awake, they saw his glory and the two men standing with him. Go ahead and go to the next one. As the men were leaving Jesus, Peter said to him, Master, it is good for us to be here. Let us put up three shelters, one for you, one for Moses, and one for Elijah. <laughs> I love this. He did not know what he was saying. Uh, while he was speaking, a cloud appeared and covered them, and they were afraid as they entered the cloud. A voice came from the cloud saying, this is my son whom I have chosen. Listen to him. When the voice had spoken, they found that Jesus was alone. The disciples kept this to themselves and did not tell anyone at that time what they had seen. Yeah, so as we said, eight days there is a week after the last time we were with Jesus and the guys. Um, he has revealed to them, he's, he's slowly kind of unfolding the reality of who he is and what he's about. 
And he's told them that he's the Messiah. That, that's big news. That was big news. Uh, he also told them that he was going to die. Equally big, not so good news. Um, it's not what they had planned on. Uh, but, and so he gives them that information, and then this happens. I kind of have to hand it to the disciples just for hanging in there. I mean, if it's me, I'm thinking, you know what? Time to go home. I'm out. This has gotten a little bit too crazy. Uh, they're, they're on the mountaintop there. This whole thing happens. Jesus glows. I, I love Peter. Peter is my favorite disciple just because uh, he's, he's so emotional and so erratic. And he just, I, I can just imagine Peter when this is happening going, seriously? What, what is going on here? Um, but I also love Luke's commentary. Uh, they were sleepy. The disciples were sleepy. They were tired, tired guys. Uh, so you can imagine them waking up and kind of looking around and seeing this whole thing unfold. Then Elijah and Moses are, are there. Then they disappear. And what happened to them? Did they, did they just like, I, I try, is it like a movie like Star, Star Trek? Did they, did they beam them up? Or where did they go? How did they, where did, you know, what happened to them? They're there. They're gone. Um, Peter wants to build little houses for them. He's going to camp out. Um, and again, I love Luke. Uh, he just parenthetically speaking, Peter doesn't know what he's talking about. Uh, don't pay any attention to him. The cloud descends. They hear a voice come out of the cloud. We heard a voice earlier. If you remember Jesus' baptism, voice from heaven, this is my son in whom I am well pleased. We, we hear a voice again, this time come out of the cloud. This is my son, listen to him. Uh, so that's our title today, listen to him. Uh, it's, a, it's a good word. Let's pray and then we'll... Uh, we'll dig into this a little bit. Father, thanks for opening your word to us. Pray that you would just help us to learn and grow and to understand uh, in a deeper way who you are, what you mean, and how we can listen to you, not only hear you with our ears, but obey you with our hearts and our lives. Your name we pray. Amen. So what exactly is happening here? Uh, I, I mentioned last week, Jesus is drawing some parallels between the Old Testament and the New Testament, kind of a transition from Israel as the chosen people of God to the church as the chosen people of God. And there's further parallels here. You recall in Exodus, the book of Exodus, Moses led the children of Israel out of Egypt through the desert and to Mount Sinai where God spoke and entered into a covenant relationship with them. There's a similar thing happening. God is entering into a covenant with his people here. Some of the parallels are this. Both events uh, ended up on a mountaintop. So the children of Israel, Moses went up top of Mount Sinai. Here Jesus takes the disciples and they go up on top of a mountain. Both Moses and Jesus became radiant. They glowed. Those are parallels. Both involved a cloud of glory coming down and covering them. Both had a voice speak to the people that were there out of the cloud. Um, both end... Uh, in an exodus, the children of Israel left Egypt, went uh, to the promised land. Jesus here uh, goes towards Jerusalem, where ultimately he is crucified, but then uh, ascends into heaven and is resurrected. So both kind of have this departure that takes place. Um, and I think what Luke is communicating to us here is a couple things. One, uh, he's confirming to us that Jesus is in fact the Messiah, first of all. Jesus is the Messiah. Second that uh, 
Jesus as a new Moses is confirming the church as the new Israel. Whereas Israel was the chosen people of God, the church is now the chosen people of God. There was an old covenant, there's now a new covenant that we are to carry out in the name of Jesus. It's a weird passage. Uh, so, so let's look at a, a few things and, and kind of try to sort it out, make some sense out of it. And then I think, uh, I really do think there's some application for us here. First question I have, uh, why did Jesus encounter Moses and Elijah on the mountaintop? Why was it not, you know, I don't know, Abraham and Isaiah or, or Sarah and Deborah or Joseph and Haggai? I don't know, any other two figures. There's lots of Old Testament figures. Why Moses and Elijah? Moses brought the law, the covenant of the law, down off the mountain and gave it to the children of Israel. Elijah is associated with the fulfillment of the law, kind of the, the, the end of the age. And so really Moses and Elijah are like bookends or the beginning and the end of the old covenant in the law. Another thing that I think is maybe significant, I don't know, Elijah was one of two people in the Old Testament who did not die. You remember uh, Enoch walked with God and was no more. And then Elijah, uh, you know, went up into heaven. And so there was a prophecy, Micah, the Old Testament prophet Micah prophesied that Elijah would return. And that's why some people, when Jesus showed up, thought Jesus was actually Elijah coming back. Elijah went up, he didn't die. He's still out there somewhere. Now he's back. So, uh, you you know, that that, that plays into this a little bit too. Uh, Part of what's happening here really is that the Old Testament uh, and, the, and the nation of Israel is confirming from beginning to end, start to finish, that Jesus really is the Messiah. This is it. This is the moment that you've been waiting for. He is the new Israel. Everything in the Old Testament points to the arrival of Jesus and the new covenant that he creates with us, his church, to carry out his will in the world. The voice uh, from the cloud, I think, is significant in that it says, Listen to him. Pay attention. Listen to Jesus. He's the guy. The authority that was previously in Moses and in the prophets is now being transferred into Jesus. And when this voice says, listen to him, it's significant for us to know that that really is the voice that we want to hear. Hebrews, the book of Hebrews confirms this to us. If you could switch to the next slide, please. Hebrews 1 tells us in the past, Old Testament, God spoke to our ancestors through the prophets at many times and in various ways. But in these last days, he has spoken to us by his son, Jesus, whom he appointed heir of all things and through whom he also made the universe. The son is the radiance of God's glory and the exact representation of his being, sustaining all things by his powerful word. Jesus is the exact representation of God's glory. Um, Jesus is the real deal. The Old Testament, we see glimpses of God. We see glimpses of God's glory. We see, you know, it, uh, Corinthians says, uh, like in a, in, a, in a mirror, a shadow, we sort of see an image of God, but we don't see the fullness. But when we see Jesus, we see the fullness. This is who God is. This is what God looks like. It's the exact representation. As, as great as the glory of God was through Moses and Elijah uh, it, th- that was nothing compared to this. This, is the, this really is the real deal. When we look at Jesus, that is who and what God really looks like. That's what God looks like. He, he is the clearest, fullest, most complete picture of God that we have. 
And uh, so listen to him. Listen to him. Um, we we want to follow him. We want to listen to him. We want to look like him. We want to live like him. We want to love like him. We want to we, we want to set the course, the direction of our lives based on what we see and and what Jesus says and who He is. Um, can, I want to take a little time out. Can I give you a little precautionary? Pastoral advice? Is that okay? Sure. Um, you know, when, when, whenever someone develops a doctrine or sets a direction or, or, or embraces uh, behavior and or attitudes that are based solely on the Old Testament, I think we want to take a step back and kind of just question that a little bit. Well, you know, um, how does that line up with the New Testament how does that behavior or attitude connect with what Jesus says and who Jesus is? And I'm not saying that anything based on the Old Testament might necessarily be wrong. I'm just saying I would want to look at that and confirm how it corresponds with what the New Testament says. Uh, I think it can be dangerous to formulate doctrine and especially to imp- you know, implement doctrine in our lives based on strictly Old Testament passages. So that's time back in. Um, the voice says, listen to him, uh, but which also has some Old Testament parallels. If you look at Deuteronomy 18, it says, the Lord your God will raise up for you a prophet like me from among you, from your fellow Israelites, you must listen to him. So that this is in Deuteronomy, Moses speaking. Then the next verse says, this is what you asked the Lord your God, Horeb, God at Horeb on the day of the assembly when you said, let us not hear the voice of the Lord our God, nor see this great fire anymore, or we will die. So here's what's happening. God's plan has always been to have direct relationship with his people. He wanted to connect personally, one-on-one, individually, corporately, with the people of God, without a mediary, intermediary. But the people said, no, this is too much. We can't take it. It's overwhelming. Uh, we need you to have Moses or somebody, the prophets, whoever, go in between us and bring God's word back to us. And that really is the story of the Old Testament. God communicated with his people through others, through prophets, through kings, through different people. But here's where I think application begins to, to kind of make its way into our lives. This is also really uh, the way it works in a fallen world. Uh, this idea is ingrained in us that we need somebody to go ahead of us, kind of go between us and God. And we see this idea played out in a lot of different ways. I don't know if you've ever talked to somebody. I've had conversations with people throughout my uh, ministry experience where they tell me something like this. Well, I, I really do. I know I need to get right with God, but I just need to clean my life up first. I need, I need to take care of some things first. And the idea is I can't go directly to God the way I am right now. I, I need to, you know, I'm like going, nah, you know, why don't you come to God and let him help you do that? Uh, this is also, it's manifested in a number of different ways. There have been groups, different sects, if you will, throughout the history of the church where the, the, the people in the church we're not allowed to have Bibles at all. Only the pastor could have the Bible 
and he would read it to them and interpret it for them, which is frightening, frankly, but that has happened. There are other ways this is manifest. Even today, in some, some circles, you'll see where the pastor is the only person that prays for people. See, we say everybody gets to play. At the end of our service every week, we have an opportunity for prayer and ministry, and you go over here to the side, and frankly, if, uh, you know, I don't go over there and pray for people on purpose, intentionally, because I want to communicate that we're all involved. We're all part of this. But it's not always that way. I had a, uh, a very humorous experience happen to me. It was probably uh, early to mid-90s. I was uh, leading a young adults group at the Vineyard in Anaheim called the 8 o'clock service, it's a lot of fun, a lot of young people. Uh, it was just, it was, a, it was a really a fun time. And so I get this phone call one day from a guy who's the youth pastor at a, a, not a vineyard church, but an independent Pentecostal church in Modesto, California. Uh, if you ever have an opportunity to go to Modesto, don't, uh, unless you like cows. There's a lot of cows there, just cows, lots of them. And they smell like cows. But he says, he says, hey, we're putting on a citywide youth conference. And the Lord spoke to me, and that's always, you know, kind of a, I always question that, but the Lord spoke to me and told me to call you. Call Glenn Schroeder and ask him to come and speak at this conference. Wow. Okay. Uh, let me ask you a couple questions. Uh, what about worship? Do you have a worship team for your conference? He goes, well, we don't. We're hoping to have a worship team, but this is our first, we're just planning right now. I said, okay, hmm, what about a ministry team? Do you have a ministry team for your conference? And I don't, I don't think he knew exactly what I meant when I said ministry team. But he said, nope, we're, we're working on that too. We're working on planning. I said, hey, I'll, I'll tell you what, here's the deal. If you let me bring a worship team and a ministry team, I'll come and speak at your conference. Okay, he says, we'll do it. So I gathered together about 25 or 30 of my, these young people that I was working with at, at this service I was doing, and we go to Modesto to do this conference. And the weekend, it was, it was, a, it was a good meeting. There was, uh, you know, I don't know, a couple hundred kids there. And it, it went really well. Uh, so, so they invited us to stay over and do their Sunday morning service in their church. And uh, I had not yet met the senior pastor. He had not showed up at any of the meetings. So I'd only, the only interaction I had was with the youth pastor. So I said, sure, we'll do Sunday morning. So we went, we did the Sunday morning service, and it, it went fine. And at the end of the service, uh, I had an opportunity for prayer for ministry like we do here. And I said, if you'd like prayer, why don't you just, you know, come on up front and we'll, we'll, we'll pray for you. Well, what people did is they formed a single final line in front of me to pray for them. Which was awkward for me, but it was their tradition. That's how they do it in their church. So I didn't know what to do. What do I do here? Do I breach protocol you know, and do what we do, or do I honor their tradition and do what they do? I just felt weird being the only person praying. So I said, I'm going to invite our ministry team to come and pray. So I, I, I invite our ministry team. Now, another thing I forgot to tell you is this is a little bit more traditional church than us. So everybody's wearing suits and ties to church, right? Which is good. That's, that's, that's fine. Except we weren't. Um, so, so, so there's a guy on our ministry team named Mike Sanchez and, and Sanchez is a guitar player in an alternative rock band. Um, 
And so he's got, his hair is, is long, but just sort of chopped off right here. So it's like behind his ears and just chopped off, kind of a, I don't know, weird haircut. Um, it's also, in the 90s, I don't know if you remember this, but the alternative rock scene, uh, the wardrobe was black. Everything was black. So all these guys would, I called them my little black people, but it had nothing to do with their skin. It was just their clothing because they wore all black all the time. Black t-shirts, black Levi's, black Doc Martens. That was the uniform. So Sanchez has got his chopped off hair and his black uniform on. He comes up. And he's praying for this man, this older guy in the line. He puts his hand on him, he starts to pray for him, and the guy just falls over. Oh, man, now we're in trouble. Um, oh, what am I going to do here? Uh, we, we ended up having a really wonderful ministry time with these folks. Uh, we were never invited back. Uh, I, I went out to lunch with the youth pastor afterwards. I'll just tell you, this is a different dynamic. You realize when you have a situation like this, the, 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 just how diverse the church is today. I mean, this is 20 years ago, but 25 years ago, I know it was in the 90s, but not, it's not ancient history. Uh, so I go out to lunch with the youth pastor. I still not spoken to the senior pastor. He, he, I think, was afraid. He says, but he's interested in the fact that I had these, these young people come up and pray. He goes, I, I, how does that work? How do you do that? I said, they do everything. He goes, what do you mean? I go, well, they're involved in ministry. They do everything. He goes, do they, do they, do they, they, they like give words of knowledge and prophecies and things? And I go, yeah. Oh. He goes, are, are they ever wrong? I'm like, yeah. Sometimes they're wrong. He goes, what do you do then? I go, I don't know, start over? I mean, I, 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 it's just part of the process. He goes, we could never do that. We could never do that. So ministry was restrained for fear of making mistake. Um, everybody gets to play. Ephesians 4, 11 and 12 says, God gave apostles, prophets, evangelists, pastors, teachers for the equipping of the saints to do the works of ministry. That's what we're about. People, sometimes people ask me to pray for them and, and I, I will. I say, I'll pray for you because you're my friend. I love you. I want, I want to see God touch you. But if you think that me praying for you has greater impact than somebody else here praying for you, then you're wrong. That doesn't work that way. In fact, as you all know, I've made it very clear. When I need prayer, I go to some of our young people because I just feel like, you know, sometimes they have sort of a connection. They're, they're, I always ask, who's got the juice right now? Rachel does. Mercy does. And so I just, I, that's who I want to pray for me right now. Um, you know, I, I think we want to create an environment here where uh, I think what exists is what Jesus is talking about right here. There's no intermediary. There's no go-between where we really, as the body of Christ, as the priesthood of believers, we come into the presence of God and we serve and work and do everything that God has ever called us to do. And nobody is restricted in any way from that. And if, if that's news to you, if that's new to you, uh, I just want to say, God bless you. Welcome. Thanks for being here and, and take a risk. Step out. Don't be afraid. Uh, let God uh, touch you in a new and a different way maybe than he ever has before. Um, I really believe that is the plan of God for us 
to be able to come directly into his presence in every and any capacity. We don't need an intermediary. We don't need a go-between. We don't need a middleman to pray. We don't need a middleman for ministry. We don't need a middleman to receive from the word of God or to be filled with the Holy Spirit or anything else. It all happens between God and us directly. And that's exactly what was happening with Jesus and the disciples here on the mountaintop. So go directly to God. You guys have a 100% all access, all access backstage pass. Uh, you know, do not pass go. Do not collect $200. Go straight to God. Um, part of what's taking place on this mountaintop in the transfiguration is that Jesus is beginning to connect the dots for the disciples. He's communicating to them, hey, I want you to know something. The guy I told you about that's gonna die, the suffering servant, the humble Messiah, and the God of glory in the mountaintop are one and the same. There's no difference between that God and this God. It's one and the same. That's who I am. I am the God of glory, but I'm also the one that's gonna give his life for you. I am the Messiah you're looking for. It may not look like you thought it was going to look. I may not exactly carry things out the way you thought I was going to carry them out, but I am the one that's here. I might identify with the poor and the broken and the hungry. I might identify with the LGBTQ community, with the black community, with the Latino community, with the immigrants and the outcasts more than you think I should, but that's who I am. That's the God that I am. I'm the guy. So the transfiguration for them was confirming that Jesus was who he said he was. They'd seen him in action. They'd seen him reaching out to different groups of people and touching different lives. But now they see him in his glory and they go, this really is the guy. John 1 says, the word became flesh. God became a human being and this is what he looks like. And when we see Jesus ministering to lepers and Samaritans and people that other people didn't want to go near, we see what God is really like. When we see Jesus sacrificing himself on the cross on behalf of a broken humanity, we really then see God for who he is and what he's really like. And his word is true. Listen to him. That's the guy. What about the cloud? The cloud is a mystery. All my, all my documents, all my photos, everything, it's all in the cloud. I don't know how it got there. I don't know where that is. I just know it's there. But it, it doesn't speak to me. The cloud spoke to them. The cloud really does represent the holiness of God, the awesomeness of God. I think it's, it's Jesus make, drawing this contrast for them, uh, showing them that, you know, he really is wanting to connect with them directly. In the Old Testament, when the cloud appeared, the people said, what? Take the cloud away. We're afraid. We don't want to go near the cloud. But that's changed here. They, they come into the presence of God, the glory of God. They come directly into the presence of God. Last little thing, and if, if uh, the worship team wants to come back up now, you can. Um, what about these three shelters? Peter, let's build, let's build shelters. What's he talking about there? Peter, uh, again, I, I love Peter. He, he, Peter is always the most resistant to Jesus' suffering. He's the most militant, and, and so here's the thing. I think 
when Jesus talks about dying on the cross and, and all that, Peter doesn't like that so much. When he sees the glory and the glowing God, that he likes. Peter's going, that's what I'm talking about. This is what I've been looking for. That's the God I want. And so he wants to commemorate this. He says, let's, let's, let's stay here. This is what I want to do. Let's make a house for Moses and Elijah and you. And he's going to start his own little glory-filled mountaintop glory club or something. I don't know. He just, I want to, uh, this is what I'm talking about. I want to be, I want to be in that guy's presence. Uh, but the reality is that Jesus is now, it's not going to stay this way. And again, I love Luke here. He's just, Peter doesn't know what he's doing. Uh, he doesn't know what he's talking about. Uh, they don't build shelters. They, they, that, they don't, they don't commemorate the occasion. The glory of God really is in his presence wherever he is. It's not on a mountaintop. It's not in one place. Je Jesus didn't end on the mountaintop. He didn't, he didn't end in a cloud of glory. Uh, he, he ended, really, the suffering servant. He, he, did, he emptied himself out on our behalf. That's what he did. That's the God of glory. The God of glory is the one that didn't stay on the mountain but comes down off the mountain and, and goes into the heart and lives of his people. I was... Um, I was in Mexico earlier this week and uh, got a chance to go down and connect some of our vineyards here in the Northwest with a vineyard in, in Tijuana and uh, visit a couple of ministries. I got to see our friends down at Door of Faith, who many of you have visited, and also went into a ministry in the canyon there in Tijuana with a guy named Dave Hessler, I think. And um, I, as many times as I've been in those kinds of situations, it's overwhelming to me to see the most impoverished, the most destitute, broken people living in really what was at one time the dump in these houses that are built from whatever they can find uh, with no running water. Some have electricity, some don't. The ones that do, it's pirated. They take nails and they tie a wire to the nail and bend it and throw it over the power line and pull it down and that's how they draw it. So these wires are on the ground. and It's chaos, you know. And I think of the heart of God and going... Where's Jesus? He's right in the middle of this. That's where he is. That's the God that, that I serve and I love, that, that, that I want to follow, that I'm going to listen to. It's a God that's saying, I'm right here in the middle of this. That's where I am. Thanks again for listening. If you'd like to sow into what God is doing through Cascade Vineyard, we always welcome your prayers for our church body, our communities, and our leadership. If you'd like to contribute financially, please visit cascadevineyard.org give.